0: Hey everybody, I want to welcome you guys to New Life. My name is Jeff, I'm one of the pastors on staff. So glad to have you guys with us. You are currently, uh, those that are, I can see right now, you're currently sitting in our Kearney campus. Uh, we've also got people that are worshiping with us all the way out at our North Platte campus. And just FYI, so you know, when I, when I say hello to all of those worshiping at our North Platte campus live right now, do you know what happens at the North Platte campus? they go crazy. They're like, yeah! And if they didn't do it, they just did it. So, let's just, at the Carney campus, we've got both this auditorium and we also have, you know, the auditorium to our east that we call the venue. And um, so, listen, can we just, like, represent the Carney campus for a moment? Like, welcome to the Carney campus, everybody. That's what I'm talking about. And because I can't take sides, I'll just end it with, take that, North Platte. Okay, so... <clears throat> Um, anyways we're we're one church multiple locations and it's a joy it's a joy to to be able to do that we uh just finished up a a teaching series that i entitled the apostles creed and for those of you that went through that teaching series with us from the beginning of the year uh how many of you guys would say that god did something in your life during that teaching series he spoke something to you right okay so three of you that's awesome i love it glad glad I give it my all. Um, Yeah, no, just joking. I know, God did a a lot of great things in our lives. He uh, kind of took some things from some of your past and he brought it into the current. And for some of us that didn't grow up with something like the Apostles' Creed, he helped us kind of bring some spiritual truth to that. And so what an exciting time. Today, we're going to start a brand new, it's going to be a mini-series, okay? Mini-series. It's only three weeks long. This is a little unusual for what I typically do, but three weeks long little mini-series that I entitled Simply God Is with these three emojis, all right? Emojis. If you don't know what an emoji is, you need to turn to the person next to you, uh, preferably someone younger and they'll let you know. Um, Or if they look like a grandmother or a grandfather age, they probably know as well because their grandchildren have been sending them to them. So, emojis, that's what these are. You have not shown up to the New Life children's program today. Uh, This is actually our adult worship venue. Today, we're going to be looking at the very first emoji. I know that this person doesn't look super old, but it's the closest we could come up with for father, okay? So, just give me a little leeway on that one, all right? He's got a crown on father. He's the king, okay? Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at the fact that God is father. This three weeks for this month... I'm going to be talking to you about the critical spiritual gateways, if you will. All right? You're not going to find that terminology uh, in the Bible, but just picture this with me. It's kind of more of a, a word picture. These gateways that allow you to walk through them so that you can, you can explore more of God. One of those gates is you've got to come to a conclusion that God is Father. <clears throat> He's not just some deity that sits on a throne someplace absent from humanity and letting the earth and the universe just do what it's going to do that he created god is wanting to have a very close personal relationship with us which we'll talk more about today but that god is father if you don't have that gate wide open then i'm telling you today you're not you you don't hear sermons the same you don't read the bible the same you don't pray the same and you're not you're not getting all that you can get in your relationship with god Until you open the gate and you truly come to a conclusion, not just up here in your mind, but really in your heart, that God is Father, you're going to limit your exploration and your understanding and your relationship with God. So this is just one that needs to open. The next two weeks, um, I'm going to talk about how God is happy. Yeah, a lot of people don't think that. And then lastly, God is love. And you're like, oh, yeah, I understand that. Do you? You know, because these three gates, if we really truly understand these three things, it will revolutionize our relationship with God. So, God is Father. We all had two parents. That's how you got here. I'm not going to go any farther into that sermon today, right? Everyone understands that? Okay, good. This is all like, that's why the children's service is someplace else, because randomly we'll make, you know, really, you know, crazy statements like that. Yeah. Like, you have two parents. But to turn from, a, from a, a parent or one that can produce ch- children to a father, that's a big leap. You don't just become a father, right? Fatherhood is something that is, is grown into, it's developed. Um, there's a lot of mistakes that are made along the way. Um, there's a lot of principle and character and integrity required to be a father, There's a lot of commitment and longevity in it. And I know that as I talk about that issue, for some of you, you grew up in homes where you had an absent father. Some of you actually grew up, you don't even know who your father is. Um, Others of you grew up and you had poor experiences with a father that might might be verbally abusive, physically abusive, or in other ways, destructive. And today is not an attempt to try to rehash all those memories. But I will say this to you just as a friend. If today, when I'm talking about Father, you have this imagery of your earthly father that keeps stirring up pain and stirring up resentment, maybe even stirring up anger during this sermon, you need to know that that could be a gift from God for you today. That God's trying to show you that there are things in your life that you're hanging on to that you've got to let go of. And today, if any of that happens for you, please know this, Jesus, Jesus is big enough to take your pain. Jesus is loving and compassionate enough to absorb the frustration, the destruction that maybe some of you went through. He can help heal that for your life. But on the flip side of it, I had a father. Um, I have a father still. He's still alive. I'm thankful for him. I, I was blessed with a father that set an incredible example for me. Not a perfect father. He wouldn't even say that he was. But he set an incredible example for me. My my father was an entrepreneur. I mean, he he looked and he he saw what maybe others didn't do, and he went and made those things happen. My father was successful. My father was very supportive of me, um, wanting me to be involved in sports, showing up at as many of my games and as many of my matches as possible. He was incredibly encouraging to me, always promoting The the greater person that he saw in me, helping me to maybe even become someone greater than I would have been, um, you know, without his voice. I I know I'm a better man because of him. Uh, My father was a man that was disciplined. Right? I mean, he was like, if he, if he was going to do something, he did it. He wasn't one of these talkers. He, he was a man of action. Um, he was a man who would wake up early in the morning if he needed to be to get that business deal done, or he would stay up late into the night, way into the night, <clears throat> maybe all night long if that's what was required to get that assignment accomplished. My dad was a man that I, I know as a man of integrity. Um, and also, my dad is a man of faithfulness. And those are, those are words I, I uh, strategically chose. These are not just words that I just looked for or just kind of had an emotion about. These are words that I strategically chose that I would stand up in front of any group of people and I would argue this and I would make, make a, a great defense for my father that these are the things that he, that he had qualities of. Um, you always knew where my dad stood. He wasn't one of those kind of guys that you didn't know where he stood on an issue. If there was an issue, you could ask him, and man, he had an answer for it. He always amazed me how he was so confident in his answers and how so many of his answers I watched in my own life pan out to be true. His wisdom and his knowledge about this earth and about the way that man interacts with man and the way that things happen um, was above others that I ever sought in my life, and I still seek his advice for that um, even to this day. Um, My my dad was a man that if he said something was going to happen, it was going to happen. We're going to Disney World? Guess what? We're going to Disney World. That wasn't just to get me to do something for him at the moment, right? But that also meant that if if you're going to get a spanking, guess what? You're going to get a spanking. You're going to get disciplined. So there was both that, you know, because he was going to follow through with something. You had both of those sides. And because of his lifestyle, it caused me to have a healthy view of God, but it also caused me to have a fear of the Lord, (laughs) right? That um, if my dad says it's going to happen and it happens, how much more is God going to follow through? And I took that fear of the Lord to really in my personal life. This is not his fault. This is me. I took that fear of the Lord actually to an unhealthy level where it caused me to be distant from God and caused me to walk away from God, and I had to come to a place very critical to unlearn that misbelief. I had to unlearn, had to undo the knot in my spiritual life so that I could get over that particular hurdle. And all of us have different types of dads. That was my dad. All right. You have a different type of dad and whatever kind of dad or father you had left a mark on you. For some of you, you might have had a father who was like this big and strong. All right. Big and strong. No matter where he went, he stood out in the crowd. Right. He was like he was strong. He was maybe he was physical. Uh, maybe he was involved in a lot of different things. Uh, big and strong. And that would leave a certain mark on a person. But maybe your dad was just the opposite. Short and stocky. Guy looks kind of fun. Right. Come on. Look at him. Just look at him for a moment. Short and stocky is always funny. I'm just going to tell you, if you're short and stocky, you got some comedic value. So maybe short and stocky, and that kind of left a a, a mark that might be on you. Another dad might be like a CEO. This was more my dad, right? My dad, I mean, you go to my dad's closet today, here's where the suit jackets start, and they're in order, and then the pants, they start, and they're in order, and then the shirts, they start, and they're in order, and the belts are coiled up on the shelf, and the cufflinks are all laid out, and the belts are all, I mean, it's just like, you can go there today, it looks like a store, right? You just, you pick this one, that one, that one, that you put that together, that's how you go. So my dad was more of the CEO type, but maybe your dad was more of the, you know, the hard labor man, you know, work hard, come home, take a shower, still smell like work, right? You know what I'm saying? If that was your dad, it's going to leave a certain mark on you. But your dad might also have been like a sports fanatic dad, right? Show up to all your events like this. You know, look at at son over there. Like, I'm going to walk in your footsteps. It's awesome. Or maybe that's not sun. I don't know. But maybe your dad showed up like that. Maybe your dad was just like all sports, man. Everything he did was sports. And that's going to leave a mark on you as well as maybe this last picture of a dad the the bookworm dad the reader the studier you know the guy who could be found in his home office or down in the den and you know he was just always absorbing and always reading the role of a father is paramount though to the way that you see god as father so all these different styles of fathers the role of the father is paramount though to the way that we tend to see god as father So if your dad was harsh, we tend to see God as harsh. If your dad or father projected um, weakness, we tend to see God as a God of weakness. If your father projected gentleness, we see God as gentle. If your father projected forgiveness, then we tend to see God as a forgiving God. And unfortunately, if your dad was a dad of grudges, then we tend to see God as a God of grudges. So the role of a father is paramount in helping the next generation either Uh, have an incredible relationship with God or to have a lot of hurdles that they have to overcome. So if you're a dad here, then please, all ears, tune it in with me for a moment, okay? Because uh, what, what you need to know today is that you are like a window to the character and the nature of God. You also might be, another word picture is, you might be like a mirror and you're reflecting the very character and the very nature of God to the next generation, That means that our actions are so critical. If you're a young man and you're yet to even be married or yet to have children or maybe you're just newly married and you haven't had children yet, you need to know something today. Don't be fearful of having children, but just know this. The responsibility is way beyond did you teach your kid how to play a sport or did you teach your kid a certain value? The, The bigger mission is are you teaching your children the very true nature and the heart of God? That statement alone should bear weight on you. It should weigh on your heart. How do you you overcome it? Just make sure that you're close to Jesus. Just be as close to Jesus as possible. You're never going to be perfect. Admit when you fail, right? But just know that you are like a window, and the next generation is going to be impacted by the way that you live. So our current views of God they get drafted a lot by our past and by our upbringing. Um, and if some of those views of God or beliefs of God are wrong, then what we have to do is we have to start unlearning, unlearning. What we typically do is we knee-jerk react to this, this attitude of, I just need to go learn something new. And it's true. You do need to go learn a new view, learn a new belief of God, that one that's biblical and one that's sound. But you first have to start with the unlearning, the unlearning. So today, before we talk about unlearning, here's the deal. Um, Take out your phone with me, okay? Take your phone out. Yeah, I'm going to do what all pastors do. Turn your ringer off, if you didn't already have it off, but leave your phone out. In fact, I want you to open your phone up to maybe your Facebook page or your Twitter account or your Instagram account or some social media account that you use. I want you to take your phone out, and I want you to be listening today during the rest of this sermon for one statement One short statement, something that stands out to you that maybe God speaks to your heart. Something that jumps off the page at you. And I just want you to type that thing right into your social media account. And then I want you to attach this emoji, this very first emoji. I want you to put that on the back end of it. And then if it's Facebook, I want you to tag our New Life Carney account and then send it out. Just send it out. So it might be three things that happen in today's message and you just do that. You tag it with that emoji. You, you, you put an emoji on it and tag it to our New Life uh, Facebook account and then just send it out. And let's see. Let's just see what happens in this community as we follow each other and as that community as they hear what God's doing in our life. Let's just listen and see what God might say. So, back to the sermon. You, you, got to, you have to first start by unlearning things, okay? Unlearning behavior. This is one of those things right now. Like, one of the behaviors that you had was always put your phone away at church. I'm going to, we're unlearning that, okay? We're pulling our phone out. It's a very practical example of it. If you want to unlearn something, it starts first by admitting that the belief is wrong, that the belief is false. You have to first come to the conclusion that belief is completely false. We have a few things here at our church that can help you do that. First off is what we call our insight classes. Insight class, a great class that you can go to. It happens right now on Wednesday nights they 're closed, but if you want to know more about our inside class i 'll tell you what to do in just a moment. But this kind of a course is going to help you unpack all these false beliefs that you have and reinsert inside of them um, instead of those right beliefs of god it 's going to help you learn about why you maybe do why what you do and then start unlearning some of that behavior so that you can become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. This is just one of the things that we have at our church now. Insight is way more than that, and I would love for you to participate with it the next time we offer it. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to take out the contact card that's in front of you, in the row in front of you. If you want more information about the next Insight class that's coming up, so that you can unpack some things in life and unlearn other things that are like a code written into the computer of your heart right now. You're trying to be the man or the woman of God that you, that you know you want to be, but you just can't get there, and that's because the code is wrong in your heart, and we got to take out the bad code, insert the new code, so that the outcome can be what you're looking for. If you want more information about that, write your name on one of our contact cards, whether you're here or in our Norplatt campus, and then write insight on it on the front or the back someplace. Turn it in at our Welcome Center out in our lobbies, and we'll help you, we'll help you take those steps. Another thing, if you're going to unlearn something, is you've got to find somebody you can trust and then talk to them about it. Many times, to unlearn something that is a bad behavior or a wrong belief, you need to talk it out. You, your own ears need to hear your mouth try to justify why you believe this thing that's inaccurate and wrong. And then when you're talking with a friend, if it's over their head, then you might need to go to your pastor, and you might need to talk to your pastor or your life group leader about it. And if it's over their head, then maybe you need to go seek some Christian counseling. That's why we've got these different systems in play here at our church. And we've got some Christian counselors that, you know, attend our church, are ones that we can refer you to, so that you can just talk this thing out and unpack some of this false belief that's just been creeping into your life. But you need to know today that to unlearn something that you've been believing and living by is going to take some time, people. It doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just pray once and then bam, I'm a new person. Now miracles can happen, but typically it takes time. It's like a, a sculptor who keeps chiseling away at the rock until the rock becomes what he wants it to be, right? That doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. Have you guys ever been up to, um, in South Dakota, uh, Mount Rushmore? Who's been there? Just raise your hand. You been there? Isn't that Awesome. But did you know that it took that mountain 14 years to unlearn what its original view was so that it could become four president's heads? 14 years of chiseling away at that mountain so that that mountain could become something totally different than the way it started. And that's a great picture for our lives. It's going to take some time. But eventually, you're going to have to get to the point where you just go, you know what? I'm going to eject that wrong belief right out of my life. And you got to kind of become the landlord of your own heart and your own mind. And you have to evict things that just are not right. you got to evict thoughts that are not biblical. you got to evict views of God that are not biblical. you just got to evict them. I mean, if you were a literal landlord, right, and someone wasn't paying rent month after month after month, you might start out with a little bit of grace, but eventually you're going to have to take the hard step and go, I'm sorry, but you can't live here anymore. i got to evict you and in our own minds and in our own hearts we put up with too much incorrect view of God non-biblical views of God we just put up with it we let it live there take up space take up room you know give you anxiety cause you to live you know in a non-biblical lifestyle and so it's time to evict some of those thoughts right out of our lives instead what we try to do is the more soft approach we try to dilute wrong thinking you know non-biblical truth out of our life like you try to dilute it out like if i just maybe if i just bring enough truth in then i'll dilute all of the bad out that's kind of like saying i'm going to make some brownies and i'm going to put some dirt in the brownies and if i add enough chocolate to the brownies they're still going to be amazing no they're not they're still going to have dirt in them you're going to eat those brownies not me now hey let's all be clear there's still the five second rule you drop a brownie in the dirt you can still pick it up and eat it right Okay, all right, good. I just want to make sure I was with normal people. Okay. But you can't add enough chocolate to the brownies that have dirt in them to make them edible. You're going to have to go back and eradicate the dirt out. Now the rest of the ingredients are going to make something that's wonderful and beautiful. That's what has to happen in our personal lives when it comes to seeing God and seeing God as Father. We're going to have to eventually come to the point where we completely surrender We lay it all down, we give it to God, and we finally are able to walk away and leave leave it on the altar. But I'm just going to tell you, you can come to this altar today, you can lay down a false belief, and I guarantee you that thing that you thought was dead on the altar is going to chase you all the way back to your pew. It's going to try to reattach itself, and it's going to try to keep its ground. And so eradicating, eradicating views or pictures that are in That are wrong. They're not even biblical of God. They might be 80% true but 20% wrong. I'm telling you guys that takes some time in our life. I've been there. I've gone through there. Um, I'm just telling you that's, that's the process. But once you do that, now you're able to entertain the true biblical pictures of God. Let me just give you a few of them that I would love to see you entertain when it comes to God being father. You know what the first one is? That God is king. If if God is your father, then your father is a king. That one statement alone should radically change the way that you live. Most of us, we kind of, we kind of like carbon copy the example of life that we were given. If you were raised um, in poverty, many times, unfortunately, the high percentages, people the next generation are in poverty. If you're raised in an upper class, then the next generation, high percentage, are in an upper class. Same thing with a middle class. You know, if you if your family handles money a certain way, you tend to handle money a certain way. There's always a group of people, a small group of people, that break the norm. But typically, we reproduce that behavior. So, what would it be like if you started entertaining the idea that God is your father and your father is a king? How would that change the way you live your life? What, What does a king own? King owns all the resources. A king has all the connections. A king has all the wisdom that wisdom can gain. So what if God was your father and your father was a king? How would it change the way you live? It should change, it should change the way that you believe. It should change the way you pray. It should change the way you take radical steps of faith. This is what 2 Corinthians 6.18 tells us. It says, and I will be your father, meaning God. God, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord what? the Lord Almighty. That means you could, for Almighty, you could reinsert a different word, the Lord all-powerful, or the Lord omnipotent, or the Lord omnipotent ruler, or you could say the Lord the King. So God, Father, says you, you call him You call him father because God has established you as a son and a daughter, and your father is a king. Let me just say this to you today. If you have your your Facebook open, this is one of those things you just might want to put in there and put a little emoji and send it out, right? God is my father, and my father is a king. Exclamation mark, little emoji, hashtag awesome, okay? Just saying. That might be a great moment for you right there. That's a powerful thought. What's another thing about God being your father that you've got to grab a hold on and, and you, you've got to have it core in your heart? And that's this, that God will not disown you. Now, in our family, we've got a little joke. And I know dads, maybe you do this, but I got a little joke with my kids. You know, we, we've we got a busy family and um, they're involved in a lot of ministry. And so Thanksgiving and Christmas doesn't always work for us to get together. So over the last weekend of Of October, we have what's called the family fall huddle. The family fall huddle is mandatory to be at, by the way. Do whatever you want on Christmas and Thanksgiving, but you've got to be there. In fact, the running joke in our family is you don't show up the family fall huddle, and I'm going on record now to say this. You don't show up the family fall huddle, then you're out of the will. All right? That's it, right there. You're out of the family will. You don't show up, you're out of the family will. That's just a little running joke for us. Of course, there is no will. I mean I mean, how do you split up five dollars between four kids? So so, anyways, it's it's fun to joke about that, but literally, if you've been disowned, it's no joking matter. And in Christianity, we have brothers and sisters that are around the world that have been disowned from their families because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They no longer have the freedom to pick up the phone and call mom or call dad. They don't have the ability to interact with their siblings. They've been literally disowned. They've been cut off. They've been shunned. They've been pushed away. And as unfortunate as that, and, I, and I'm so uh, in awe of the sacrifice that some have made around this world to put Jesus first in their life, the unfortunate part is there's some of you that are sitting here today, and you believe that God, God just might disown you, That somehow, some way, you have lived your life in such a fashion that God would just disown you. He would just let you go. I just got to let you know today that that statement could not be farther from the actual truth, which is this, that God will never disown you. Not this side of eternity. In fact, on the backside of, of this life, when we stand before God at the time of judgment, it's not God's desire to disown us. We will disown God based on our own lifestyle based on our own choices in which we live today. Whether we choose to follow him or not, that will determine whether we spend eternity with God or not. It's not that God's going to look at us and say, I disown you. It's going to be our lifestyle that disowns him. Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, was looking into the future in a way, foreseeing what was to come. He said this about how God will never disown us. He says, surely you, as he prays to the Lord, surely you are still our father, even if Abraham and Jacob would, uh, would disown us, Lord, you would still be our father. You are our redeemer from ages past. He was looking into the future. He was seeing this prophetic picture of when Israel was going to be in a moment of captivity, in a moment of deep devastation and darkness and despair. And he was saying, our father Abraham and his, his grandson Jacob They they aren't gonna come to our rescue because they're dead and gone in a grave. But God, I know one thing, you won't disown us. You'll hear our cry. You You will care for our cry. And Lord, you will help us in our moment of despair. And he noticed something, that this was the very character and this was the nature of God. And in some of our lives, we don't see God that way because our earthly fathers, unfortunately, have disowned us at times. Our earthly fathers may have rejected us at times our earthly fathers may have moved across the nation to some other or across the America to some other state and then maybe just lost contact with you i don't know what your past is but earthly fathers are going to let us down but isaiah's recognizing that earthly fathers abraham and jacob as powerful as they were in our past they can't help us now they're going to let us down but god you will never let us down And that's so critical for you to grab a hold of and get your heart wrapped around. God is father. He is your king. God is father. He won't disown you. And lastly, God is your father. God desires relationship with you. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told this story about about a father who who was God. He was depicting him as God and a son who was humanity. And the son basically came to God, being the father, and said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, I don't want to be with you anymore. In fact, I reject your way of thinking. Um, I don't want to follow in your footsteps. I'm going to go do my own thing. And Jesus depicted God in the father's position as one who heard the son's complaints, he honored the son, and he blessed the son, and he sent him away. You need to know today that God, our father, has given us, has given us free will. We we get to choose him or reject him, but that's a choice, and God desperately is looking for you and me to accept him. So the father lets the son go, but the father longs for the son to come back, and so we get this picture of this father who keeps glancing down the pathway every time he walks by, keeps glancing down the pathway where the son had gone, and when he sees the son a long ways off, there's this hope that stirs inside of him. We see this picture of God who is constantly looking down the path in which you and me have walked away from him, and he's longing for us to come back to him in a closeness and relationship with him. And there's something in his heart that leaps on the inside as we make a move towards him. In fact, in this story, Jesus said that God, the Father, he took off running after the Son when he saw the Son a long ways off. He didn't go into his house and sit down and kind of set the scene so when his son walks in the door to try to repent that he shows himself like all powerful, like I dominate you. He took off running after the son. I can only imagine that the son had to think, oh my word, this is it. The father's coming to kill me, right? This is it. But the father comes and embraces him and hugs him, just like God has done for humanity. God has ran after humanity by giving his son Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. God has embraced humanity by giving his son to die on the cross for our sins. And God has continued to engage humanity that through the power of his Holy Spirit, he keeps drawing people, he keeps wooing people back to himself. I'm telling you today, God is your father and your father desires a relationship with you. There's many more scriptures to prove that point. Let me just give you two really quick, back to back, out of the book of Matthew. One's Matthew chapter 6. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? That, That scripture speaks for itself. Of course you're more valuable. Look at the next one, the one chapter over. This is just like two. I mean, it just... Just close your eyes and point, put your finger in the Bible someplace and you're going to find verses that speak to the heart of God toward you. It says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give uh, good gifts to your children, how much more will will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the heart of God for you. You have a father. He is a king. He's not going to disown you. And he desires to have a deep relationship with you. So now, what is your response to him? Your response to him should be just the same as Jesus was talking about in that Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son when he's coming back to the father. This is the heart that God's looking for from you and me. It says that when he finally came to his senses and he said to himself this, I will go home to my father. Come home to your father today. Open your heart up to God. Worship him with a passion today. Don't be fearful of him. Charge in, knowing that God, your father, is proud of you. He's pleased with you. He's happy with you. He cries with you. His heart's broken for you. He desires to know you in a real personal way. That you have a father that wants to hear you today. You have a father that's longing for that worship relationship that you can have with him today. You're not just getting ready to sing some songs, you're not just filling some time here today. You purposely put the father first today. And if you, if you will open your heart up to him, you will experience a wealth, a wealth of joy as you sense his heart towards you. I've preached this message, and I'm going to preach these next two messages in this mini-series to help encourage you to understand who God really is so that your relationship with him can be vibrant and alive. But I'm also preaching this because this is a critical gateway that for our community, those today that are walking outside of a relationship with Jesus, they need to open up or they're never truly going to understand God in the way that God wants to be understood. Our community needs to know that God is a loving Father. He is the King of all, and He's not going to disown them, and He desperately wants a relationship with them. That brings me to why we have a bridge sitting in our lobby. There's a bridge in the lobby of the Carney campus, and there's one out on the North Platte campus. The first Sunday of March, at the end of this teaching series, I'm going to move that bridge right up onto the stage, and I'm going to put the two pieces together from the two campuses, and I'm going to preach a message. And I want to just tell you what it's going to be, because I want you to invite all your friends. I'm going to preach a message that literally shows all of us how to move from man's world across this bridge of biblical truth into God's world, God's kingdom. My text that I'm going to use is going to be out of the book of Romans, and primarily that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to preach a message that is just built on a principle called the Romans Road, and if you've never heard of the Romans Road of Scripture, you need to go and Google it. Google it now on your phone, Google it later at home, but look it up because that's what I'm going to preach. You can find all the Scriptures. They're going to be right there. It's a systematic process to help us understand how to go from living for self to surrendering and living for God. That's going to be the message. So why the bridge? Well, it's going to be an illustration here. If you want to participate with this thing with me, then I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Do you have a friend or a family member that you need to invite that doesn't know Jesus? If you do, after this service, go out into the lobby, take the markers that are on the bridge, and write write your, your friend's name on the bridge. Just write their name on the bridge. There's going to be hundreds or thousands of names that are going to be written on this bridge and the one out in North Platte. Just write it on there, and then we're going to move those bridges right up here to the stage. And I want you to be praying for those people, but I also want you to invite them the first Sunday of March to come and hear this message of hope, hear this message of God's incredible love. They're going to, we're going to package this entire series all together in one little systematic Sermon that's going to be a life-giving sermon. Let's pack this place out, the North Platte campus out, and let's present the good news of Jesus Christ to our community because everybody needs to know who God is, amen? All right, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, as we have an opportunity to come and worship you, we come and worship you with joy in our hearts knowing that you are our Father. That we get a chance to come and worship you knowing that you don't disown us, but you chase after us. That you want relationship with us. That, Lord, we come worshiping you because you are the king today. Lord, a series called God Is could go from now to eternity. But, Lord, these three critical gateways, they're so important. May it really, truly soak into our heart how powerful of a concept it is. That you, God, you are our Father. May we worship you from that attitude May we seek after you with an abandonment of our hearts. May we give you everything we have over these next few moments as we worship you, God, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.